0: Oh, <laughs> Hello everyone, and welcome to Mountain Talk. I'm your host, Mikey Mueller, and today's episode will feature some interviews I had with past Robertson scholars who lived and interned in Whitesburg during the summer after their first year at university. College students have been coming to live and work in Whitesburg through the Robertson Scholarship Program since the early 2000s. I myself just finished my internship at Apple Shop and have had the pleasure of living in Whitesburg for the past eight weeks, thanks to the scholarship program. I thought it would be interesting to hear about the experiences that some of these program alumni had during their time in Whitesburg and in Letcher County, so I reached out and chatted with them over the phone late last month. Many of these past students and interns had never visited the Appalachian region before their time in Whitesburg, and thanks to the scholarship, they were able to not only see, but immerse themselves in a community that they would otherwise never have been able to experience, all while getting a taste of Appalachian culture. Before we begin listening to the alumni though, I think it's important I explain a bit more about the Robertson Scholarship so that the background and context of each of the alumni is better understood. Created through the generous gift of Julian Robertson and his wife Josie, the Robertson Scholars Leadership Program began in the year 2000. The program offers joint merit scholarships to the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill and Duke University, where students have the privilege to take classes and study at both institutions. Part of the programming that the scholarship offers to students are unique summer experiences. During our first summer of college, called the Community Summer, we go to one of four locations in the American South, including Tarboro, North Carolina, Cleveland, Mississippi, New Orleans, Louisiana, and Whitesburg, Kentucky. In past years, Atlanta was also a site that was offered to scholars for their first summer, so some alumni that you will hear from might mention that location as well. We live in our respective communities with other scholars for 8 to 10 weeks while working for local community organizations. As you will soon hear, all the program alumni came from a diverse range of places from across the country and world, but all of them spent their first summer of college here in Letcher County. One of the alumni I talked to was here back in 2005, and one was here just last year. Though there were many similarities between their experiences, each of the alumni's time here was shaped by the other scholars they lived with, the job that they had, and the year that they came to Whitesburg. I hope that this episode of Mountain Talk offers some insight into what the experience of entering and leaving an Appalachian community is like for a young person who is not originally from this part of the country. I interviewed eight alumni and you will hear from all of them throughout the episode. I will give a brief introduction for each alumnus before they speak for the first time. I hope you all enjoy. The first thing I wanted to get a grasp of was some of the thoughts and expectations that the alumni had when they were preparing to come to Whitesburg during their freshman year of college. I asked them to reflect on the mindset that they were in before they came to Whitesburg. Raised in West Hartford, Connecticut, Elizabeth graduated from UNC in 2013. She majored in global studies with a focus in Latin America and public health. During the summer of 2010, Elizabeth came to Whitesburg and did environmental water work. While interning at headwaters
1: um, so going to college in North Carolina to begin with was a shock to me because I mean I really loved the school and I toured it but like the reality of living in the South compared to West Hartford Connecticut was like was pretty shocking and Chapel Hill I know is like a pretty liberal version of the South and it's like totally UNC influenced but Even, like, hearing my friend's stories from rural North Carolina, I was just like, no way. Like, that's not happening in our country. Um, So then going to Whitesburg, I had no idea what I was getting into. Like, the fact that the town was, like, 2,000 people, I just, like, couldn't even conceptualize that. But I knew that I really wanted to be, at that time, I thought I wanted to be um, an environmental studies major. I was really excited to, like, see what it was like to do environmental studies in the field, which is probably, like, the major reason I wanted to go to Kentucky. And I also wanted to go to a rural community because my, like, North Carolinian rabbis had told me about, like, this world that I just, like, didn't even know about, which was rural America. (laughs) So I knew that I wanted to go to, like, I wanted to learn more about it.
0: We'll hear more from Elizabeth and her job at Headwaters soon. Savannah graduated from UNC in 2017 and was in Whitesburg during the summer of 2014. She grew up outside of Phoenix, Arizona and studied public policy and peace war and defense during her time at Carolina. Here in Whitesburg, she had interned at the Center for Rural Strategies. Savannah talks a bit about her family history and the relationship she had with Appalachia before coming to Whitesburg.
1: So my, I had not lived in Appalachia. My family is actually from... Georgia. Both my mom and my dad are from different places in Georgia, um, met at the University of Georgia. Um, And my experience has been almost entirely from my dad's perspective. My dad's entire family still lives in North Georgia, outside of Chattanooga, um, in a smaller town called Chickamauga, Georgia. Um, And he, his whole life really identified with, um, you know, living in Appalachia. He was raised, um, honestly, you know, pretty poor in in this small town and really didn't think that he, you know, was headed to college. And so for him, his association, um, you know, he had this, quote, you know, American dream moment where he had, um, you know, a a teacher or guidance counselor, you know, an official authority figure in his life tell him, you know, you should apply to this, you know, he did not have any money. He was not going to be able to pay for college, but said, you are a really talented student. Him and his twin brother both were you should apply for college at this, at this university called Berea, Berea College, um, and it's actually in Kentucky. It's a, a university. I don't know how, exactly how it functions now, but then you could work your way through, essentially, debt-free. It was a college where if you were accepted, you, you know, could work meals. You, all students, I think, worked in some capacity. You could um, you know, clean the grounds. You could work in labs. But everyone was you know, given work positions so that they could make their way through a college education without being in debt. And so he, you know, didn't apply to any colleges other than this one, um, really just applied on nudging from this one individual in his life. Um, his parents were not very supportive of him going to college in general. They didn't really see the, the use. And But he and his twin brother went, um, graduated, and went on to do, you know, things, very successful things in their respective fields. Um, he's now in um like life sciences. He works at Cincinnati Children's Hospital, but has been in many different places, and um, his brother has been in computer science for a long time. But for them, they had a really complex relationship with the area because they saw it as um, this place that they, quote, got out of, which is not an uncommon narrative. Um, you know, you hear a lot about rural brain drain, which is, you know, talented students and individuals leaving the area, or rural brain gain, which is now, you know, people coming back to the area or wanting to, to serve and and live in Appalachia. But I think um, for them and for me growing up, it was often a conversation of, you know, we would go there every few years to visit our family. But, you know, it was almost instructive on their part. It was, you know, look, this is where we live. This is what we had. And now, you know, we've built this, you know, different life. And I think this was not always explicitly said, but in, in some ways was implicit um, or implied. Like, quote, better life. And so to them, it was really the signal of, you know, this is where we've chosen to leave and get out of. And so for me, I think while I had a respect for Appalachia and always, um, you know, would visit with family or had spent some time there or, you know, on road trips would stop and have, you know, a a good homey time, I I think I didn't have the full understanding of how rich communities are, um, how, you know, different different parts of Appalachia are. I think we lump it all together, but, you know, all the way from, Georgia up to parts of, you know, West Virginia. I don't know what geographically is considered, but um, there's a whole, you know, wide variety of experiences and locations. And I think um, my time prepping to go to Kentucky was, um, you know, based a little bit more on stereotypes and my own, you know, family background of, of leaving Appalachia. Um, And I think for me going there last summer, I had a, a, renewed experience of, you know, quote, returning to Appalachia, even though I had personally never lived there, but knowing that my family had some sort of origins or roots in the area, um, and just by, you know, circumstance of luck and, you know, work and choice moved elsewhere. Um, And I think I just, I grew to really respect, understand a bit more, and, and love some of the work that was being done there by people who I still consider some of my personal heroes. So I think my perspective was truly, truly shifted in, in a way that it really needed to be um, from, from working and living there for the, the short time that I did. But I think for me, it was something that I don't think I would have ever set out to choose. You know, I, it was not on my radar to go to Kentucky for a summer and work. And I think the fact that the program said, this is something we believe is valuable and that you should do. Um, I mean, they were entirely right. It, it really shifted my perspective and I think has helped me understand and respect and, and, feel some responsibility and stewardship for the, the region in a way that I didn't
0: before. Born and raised in Auckland, New Zealand, Georgia was in Whitesburg just last year. She set to graduate from Duke in 2020 and is currently studying political science. While in Whitesburg, Georgia worked with Will Collins at the Public Defender's Office in Hazard. Here, she describes talking with Vicki, the Robertson Summer Coordinator, on what she wanted to do for her first summer. And the bit of uncertainty that she felt before coming into Kentucky.
2: I, when I was planning with Vicky, we both knew that I wanted something that was sort of more legal, humanitarian-related, um, and which was why I was looking at the public defenders. And it was kind of a choice of whether I go to New Orleans or whether I go to um, Kentucky. And so two other scholars ended up going to New Orleans, and so I was the one who was going to Kentucky and. I was really terrified because even the process of getting to Lightswood for me I think it was it was a 12 hour plane ride from Auckland to Houston and then I think I took three planes to get to the airport near Whitesburg, and then I had Stephen, who I'd never met before. <laughs> um, Stephen was a scholar in my year who was also working um, in Whitesburg. He was also working at Apple Shop. Stephen picked me up, um, and that was when I met him for the first time, and it was a two-hour drive to Whitesburg. And the whole time, I was kind of very unsure about what I was getting myself into. Um, you know, you if you Google Whitesburg, You get sort of photos of Apple shop and you get a couple of photos of the town. But other than that, it's hard to know what you're getting yourself into. So, for example, if you're going to New Orleans or um, Mississippi, you kind of, you have a frame of reference of what you're going to be showing up to. So New Orleans, obviously... there's a lot of information about it. There's not a whole lot of information out there about Whitesburg before you get there, so you kind of just have to throw yourself into it. Um, And, yeah, it was scary and uncomfortable, but definitely worth it.
0: Originally from London, England, Ben studied English and filmmaking at Duke, where he graduated from in 2015. He came to Whitesburg in 2012 and worked for Herbie Smith, helping him with his documentary projects at Apple Shop. Ben describes why he was so excited to come to Whitesburg and the steps he took to prepare for the
3: summer. You know, for as much as uh, Apple Shop was like the, 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 the draw because of it being media and that being my interest and stuff like that, I also think I uh, was keen on going to, if I had like a choice of just location, I was keen to go to either Kentucky or Mississippi just because I felt like, I'll have another opportunity to go to Atlanta or to New Orleans, but how often am I going to have the chance to, to live in, you know, rural Mississippi or rural Kentucky? So, you know, I think I think it was both the draw of the place and of the uh, the work and the opportunity. And so, and I think as well, I, I wanted to go to a place where, you know, I'd already come from England and, and, and North Carolina was enough, enough of a culture shock in many ways, <laughs> sure. uh, having come from England, and I felt like, Kentucky would just take it that step further. And so, you know, you know I guess uh, it was, you know, lots of curiosity and, and stuff like that to go to a part of the States I'd never been to, to actually live there and have the opportunity to build relationships. And I think, you know, the way I, I, I guess I prepared is I, I watched some of the stuff that Apple Shop had done. I tried to uh, read up about the history of the area and got really interested in kind of the history of Kentucky. Um, and and you know reading about the some of the like local politics and you know when we were there we were there yeah in 2012 before the uh, before the election and so um, uh, we ended up one of the things I did when I was there was uh, ended up filming a coal rally in uh, in Abingdon in Virginia and uh, you know I think that was sort of in the lead up somewhere I really wanted to find out about the the inner politics of what mattered to people in that area. And I think that made it far more interesting because Weitzburg is this, like, liberal bastion in, in many ways around a, a, a very entrenched, um, you know, Republican stronghold. And so, uh, you know, that was really interesting to me as well, especially wanting to go to a place where my viewpoints and my understanding of the world would be, would be really challenged. It's easy to kind of say... Uh, you know, coming from England and going to a place like Duke and UNC, which are pretty progressive places, to not, like, challenge yourself as to viewing and, and seeing and, and and trying to get an understanding of what uh, other, you know, what life in other parts of the U.S. is about. So it was kind of a, a mixture of all those reasons as to why I wanted to go and, 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 and therefore what I did to try and understand the place that I was going to.
0: Next, I wanted the alumni to think back on their time in Whitesburg, so I asked them to list off any great memories or highlights that they experienced during their time here. Like Savannah, Sumit came to Whitesburg in the summer of 2014 and is also from a suburb of Phoenix, Arizona. He graduated in 2017 from UNC with degrees in philosophy and poetry writing. During his time working at Apple Shop, Sumit was mentored by Herbie Smith.
4: I guess there were like so many highlights. Let me just say the ones that immediately come to mind. Um, One highlight that immediately comes to mind from work is I remember there was one day that Herbie and I were scouting out a filming location for the Kentucky River film. And we were going to kind of this local stream bed area and... It was the first time that I had seen, like, orange water and orange rocks, Um, and that is a sign of pollution from coal production, Um, and I could just see it in the stream, and we were filming it, and you could see these kind of orange stalactites, literally, like, dripping from part of this nearby cliff, and it was just this scene of utter environmental degradation due to coal production and it was like my first I think uh I guess first really close up experience of that I have kind of vaguely and abstractly knew that it was happening but I didn't actually get to see it until that moment so that was like very much one highlight that I really remember yeah I guess uh I mean, this isn't really like a highlight, like a specific moment, but in terms of work, the other thing that I really appreciated is that it was oftentimes just me and Herbie, and or me, Herbie, and another assistant who came later in the summer. Her name is Polly. Um, and we would just have to drive for hours to these different filming locations. And along the way, uh, we would be talking about like the environment we were seeing around us or Herbie would be telling us about the history of Whitesburg or the history of other towns in Kentucky, and it was so cool to have that experience of just, like, learning so deeply about the history of a place, like, riding in a car all throughout Kentucky. Um, So that's not, I guess, a specific moment, but it was still a really cool part of the summer. And community-wise, there were, like, definitely cool moments. So, like, one of our our cohorts is, was and is an opera singer. Uh, her name is Shafali. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you've gotten in touch with her, too. Uh, but I remember once, and she was working for, uh, do you remember the name of the music place there? Is it the Cohen Community Center? Yeah,
0: Cowan Creek Mountain. Yeah, Stadium Cowan
4: or. Creek. Um, yeah. And so she was working with them on some sort of summer program thing, and at their final event... If I'm remembering, I think if I'm remembering correctly that she like sang opera for them at the final <laughs> event when it was like a celebration and it was like so good. And I remember everyone in the room was like very excited and some people hadn't heard that sort of singing before, like in real life. Uh, and it was that was like such a cool moment um, to be with all the Robertsons and like people in the local community for this end of summer program festival. There was also this really cool night when we were hosting, we had like a house and apartment when we were in Whitesburg. So everyone came over to the house and so did Herbie uh, and some of our other bosses, I think. And then at one point in the night, uh graham who is one of the robertsons in our cohort was learning to play banjo so he was like playing a little bit banjo and we were like all singing along together in our living room and i like remember that night was really cool and nice it was like very uniquely whitesburg something that you wouldn't always do everywhere um so that was great
0: Here's Georgia, due class of 2020 again, on her time working with Will and being part of Weitzberg's community.
2: With my job specifically, it was um, very sort of observational. I got to sort of follow Will around and had the opportunity to kind of see what his job was like and what sort of challenges he faced with his job. Um, I had the amazing opportunity to join him at a trial. Um, it was a retrial for someone who had been convicted of murder. Um, I think it might have been a decade ago now, and he was getting a retrial. Um, and we were representing this man, like we were defending him. Um, and so having the opportunity to sort of be involved in that process, and even just to be in a courtroom while court proceedings were going on, was really interesting and something that. I had never experienced before. Um, on a more personal note, like with Whitesburg itself, I couldn't get over how everyone in the community knew everyone. So, Will knew all the community members and knew Delta and everyone sort of knew everyone. Um, and that community thing, I had never really gotten that before Um, From where I was from, you know, you have your small groups, everyone is very spread out in a a city of one million. So when you move to a little town of 1,000, obviously, you know, there are very personal relationships that are formed. And so you really have this sort of sense of community. And that was something that I had never experienced before and was very special.
0: And then here's Ben again who is similarly reminded of the wonderful community he was able to discover while living here in Whitesburg.
3: We actually ended up uh, joining, uh, or or we started going to church at the Presbyterian Church um, in town, Uh, just because, like, I I don't know, I mean, I'm not a particularly religious guy, but uh, I, I thought it would be a good way of kind of consistently getting to know some members of the community. And so the the four of us ended up going, and it, it actually turned out to be one of the best things we did because we we consistently kind of saw the same people every weekend, so we got to, to know them, you know. And they were people outside of work, uh, people just you know of all sorts of different parts of the community. We ended up joining the church softball league actually, <laughs> uh, which which we played on on uh, Saturdays, and so that was great too because that just gave us another in for the community into And it was interesting because some of the people who played there were like former miners or, or stuff like that, you know, which is a very different perspective on uh, the community than, um, you know, than, than people at Apple Shop had, for example. So we were just able to like understand kind of that, you know, their involvement in the community and stuff. So so I would say, you know, that that really helped.
0: Travis grew up in rural North Carolina and graduated from UNC in 2013. He studied public policy and political science and had worked at the Center for Rural Strategies during his time at Whitesburg.
5: I think it's a couple of things. I think one of the highlights was certainly um, being with a group of five other people in a sort of um, remote space really gave us a chance to sort of bond and have our own sort of community. And um, we were all doing sort of distinct but related work. um, And working through that with the, like having other people to work through that with and think about, what matters and what's meaningful and how you're going to take this forward was a really positive experience. I think in terms of Whitesburg itself, just being in such a beautiful landscape and being in the mountains and sort of having a lot of green around you and to sort of reflect on what's going on in the world and what you're going to do after you leave this place was a really positive experience for me. Um, And then from a work perspective, I think I knew coming into undergrad, I wanted to work in sort of a policy sphere. Um, I hadn't quite figured out exactly what that would be, but doing work um, at a nonprofit focused on rural policy was a really positive experience for me to hone in a little bit more on what kinds of work I really wanted to do and how I want to carry that forward into the policy sphere. Um, And certainly sort of what I do now is different but it's definitely informed by some of the work that I did while I was in Whitesburg Um, and I think my perspective on some of the things I touch day to day is much stronger because I have that experience.
0: Originally from Raleigh, North Carolina, Eli received a degree in linguistics from UNC while studying biology at Duke. He graduated college in 2014 and worked with Nell Fields in Whitesburg during the summer of 2011. An avid scientist, Eli came to Whitesburg with an idea to run an outdoor science camp of sorts for kids around the county. He would set up shop for a week at a time at different haulers where he would then teach kids about nature and the different bugs that they found out in the woods and the creeks. Eli recounts a bit of his thought process when he began the science program and what really stuck with him after he finished
6: running the camp. I showed up there and and walked in to meet Nell, um, and my thought was, based on what I was like as a child doing a lot of these things, um, that I really just needed a room um, somewhere that I um, would set up all my stuff um, and that, you know, I could get kids to come in for for two or three weeks at a time. You know, their parents would drop them off or whatever. Uh, I found out from her that you really have to be much more accommodating to the needs of – of your your population, um, so if you're in rural Kentucky um, and you want kids in the summer who aren't in school and who aren't being bused to do something semi-academic, um, you really have to go to them. Uh, so rather than being in the center of town, except for one site, um, I went out to little community centers, um, and which might have been 30 or 40 minutes or even an hour away from Whitesburg, uh, but where there were enough interested people uh, living um, and would, would set up there. The thing that um, surprised me most um, is actually the attitude of uh, the adults more than the kids. Um, you know, I figured kids are kids. They'll, they'll do anything that's fun. So if I can make... The activity's fun. but the kids will come and be interested. Um, I was really surprised that uh, these people who I was working with, who were you know opening up rooms for me and helping get people in, um, were extremely interested and extremely positive about the general uh, role of science as a field. Um, as something that is beneficial and interesting and enjoyable. Um, so I several times had adults, parents or coordinators sitting in and um, you know not not sort of doing child care but enjoying um, the resources that I had on their own merits, which was great and I, um, in a sense that that particular experience might be something that stuck with me as I think about it, um, really more than than quite a few other things, because, I mean, I am am from North Carolina, but you wouldn't know it to listen to my voice. Um, And uh, I'm from a, a city, but I'm in the, nominally, I'm in the agricultural field. So, the people who I rely on to adopt anything I come up with, the people who I have to convince it's a good idea, are quite similar in a lot of ways, but not always, to the people who I got to know and who I was, even at that time, unexpectedly talking to about science back in Kentucky. Um, and that, I think that does, it's valuable to me to the present day, and it definitely informs a lot about how I go about trying to communicate scientific ideas.
0: But just because the alumni had great and fond memories of Whitesburg doesn't mean that their time here in Letcher County was always easy. I asked the alumni to think back on some of the more difficult and challenging experiences they encountered while living in Whitesburg. Scott is originally from Atlanta, Georgia. He studied history and graduated from UNC in 2008. He interned at the Leisure County 911 office back in 2005. Where he helped stitch together aerial maps of the county while working for Jim Revis, also known as Jimbo.
7: It was a really intense experience in terms of living there with other scholars. Um, and, you know, we were there. We talked, Rachel and I talked about this at the Robertson Reconnect weekend in February. We were there in the summer of 2005, you know, before smartphones. Um, I can't even remember whether the place that we were living had uh, wireless internet access, any kind of internet access. Um, And so it felt, I think, we feel like it was more isolating then. um, There were five of us, three guys living in one rented house up a valley, and then Rachel and Kelly living in another house, kind of on the other side of town. And, you know, it really was the first time that I think any of us had really lived on our own. Um, you know, because you go off to college, but and you're sort of on your own, but pretty much everything is actually taken care of for you. You don't have to do, like, that much. You just show up places and you know there's food or whatever. You don't really have to clean. You don't have to you don't have a whole lot of responsibility. Um, but then living there having both the kind of the pressures of, of whatever work we were doing um, the responsibilities of cooking and getting groceries and cleaning and generally tending to daily life while also living in this really um, uh, kind of close environment with other scholars. Um, This was really intense, Um, and I got to know all of them incredibly well. Um, You know, at times that was really fun, at times it was really hard. Um, Just, you know, clashes of personality when you and only know four other people going into a kind of foreign environment. Um, But, you know, I still think back to that summer as probably the most important of my three summers just because it, you know, laid the... It was the first time I had done any of that and sort of laid the groundwork for me to be able to then do the, the later summers. Um feel like, you know, I could deal with anything that rolled my way.
0: Here's Elizabeth, UNC class of 2013 again, who was helping clean up rivers while working at Headwaters. She talks a bit about the initial difficulties she had understanding some of the local people's perspectives with regards to her environmental work.
1: Most of my responsibility, I was working with an AmeriCorps volunteer who was working with Headwaters, and Mm -hmm. we worked in the basement of the town library. Um, and I was mostly researching like grant opportunities for half the summer. And then the second half I went to, I want to say it was like basically the town clerk's office. And I was looking at maps of whose property lined up with like every foot of the creek.
7: Um,
1: to like figure out how we could like basically do cleanup projects on them um and like the funny thing to me is like in you know that's like a community service project that i thought would be totally fine like who would ever object to someone picking up trash on their property but that was like very naive of me because obviously like it became a very sensitive topic that we like wanted to go onto people's property and clean up the river.
6: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and like, I remember my mentor saying at one point, like, we like, if we go there without explicit permission and like blessing from them, like it is quite possible that someone will be shot. And I was like, why would they ever shoot someone? Cause in my neighborhood, like the suburbs, because they're running through your yard all the time, but it was just like a different mentality of like, this is my land and my property. It really frustrated me because I wanted to just like clean all the water and do all these great projects, and I couldn't understand why people weren't on board with that. I'm mm-hmm. um, like, with the coal mining history in Kentucky, I think that was the hardest thing for me because I was like, you're literally shaving the tops off mountains, like polluting your own water that your kids are drinking. Like, why would you work for these companies? But, like, it's also very much like this is our history and this is how we have been raised and how we got here and, like, what made us such a strong region at one point that, like, it's hard to let go of that. And it's also scary to let go of that because who knows what's coming next. Um, And I think, like, that took me a really long time and it took – Talking to a lot of people from Kentucky who were like, I thought liberal and like minded to me, but were like, you, you have to understand that it's not so black and white as like New England wants to paint it or yeah. environmentalists want to paint it. Like, you're talking about people's professions and people's grandfathers and great grandfathers and, you know, like legacies of working in this one mine. It's not just giving up like pollution or, like, something that's bad for their health. It's like giving up what their family has defined itself as for so long.
0: Elizabeth worked for a few years at the Children's National Hospital in Washington, D.C., and now goes to medical school at the University of Vermont. Here's Georgia one last time. She mentioned some of the difficulties she faced while living in Whitesburg, along with some of the stereotypes associated with the area that she was forced to rethink
2: had very real moments where i was so uncomfortable with just being alone so there's this thing in whitesburg where if you you stand out on the road like you'll be lucky if there are a couple it's like if you hear a couple of cars other than that it's like usually it's dead silent especially with the house that we were living in um you're kind of off like off a little side street and so very rarely do cars ever come by so you're just kind of left to yourself. And that, I really struggled with being left alone to my own mind and having to sort of, uh, you know, like, face myself in that sort of cliche way. So, like, uh, you can't distract yourself a whole lot when you're there. Like, there's only so many things you can do. And so having to learn to be with yourself was... Very challenging for me. I feel like when you have a lack of understanding of something, we you you tend to rely on the stereotypes that you're told. So Duke, um, even though it's in North Carolina, it's very um, it holds a sort of liberal perspective on everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's this perspective of, oh, it's the, it's the backward South. You know, everyone there has all these topsy herby views, and they're uneducated, so they don't really understand what they're voting for. They don't understand politics. Um, and even my parents, like, America is kind of divided into a, there's There's the South, which is like, oh, that's the gun-shooting area. You know, that's where everyone has guns and there's no law. And then there's kind of the risk of America. Right. Um and we rely on those stereotypes because we don't really understand or have knowledge about, you know, the complexities that are going on. And so, um even I relied on those stereotypes, um before going to Whitesburg. My mom was actually like we had a talk, she's like, like, don't let watch out for the guns, you know, it's 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 Kentucky, you know. Um and looking back at it now, it's like, it's, we, we some of these things are kind of based on ignorance, like, right. you know, the lack of knowledge.
0: Georgia just finished her second year at Duke University and has spent this past summer collecting data while interviewing people across Europe about the refugee crisis. Here's Ben again, Duke class of 2015, who talks a bit about his biggest struggle when living in Whitesburg.
3: I think for you know for, for for all Robertsons pretty much. I mean you know it's it's, it's uh, I feel like it speaks to the territory that you know we've all grown up in a in a pretty um, uh, go getter environment. Mm-hmm. You know, like you 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 know you you tend we've all done well in school. That's part of the reason why we got the program. So you know it's a place where I know when I was in high school, like I was balancing you know, academics, with, with sport, with theatre and stuff like that. Like, it, I always felt like I had everything crammed in and if I had a little bit of time and space, I would have to optimise that in some way. And I think going to Duke, you, you know, you're or going to UNC, the first year that you're there, you're, like, trying to establish, you know, what you want to do, the people you want to know, the communities you want to be a part of, and you feel like you're racing around and you don't have time to breathe sometimes. Very definitely. And I think yeah. uh, when I was in Kentucky, uh, it definitely challenge that um and 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 i think i struggled with it at the beginning it's like you're in, a, you're in a you're in an environment where things move a lot slower and that sounds like a derogatory thing to say and i do not mean it in that way at all because i think it was it, it was a very important lesson for me you know i felt like in the lead up to getting the robertson and in the lead up to trying to do as well as i could freshman year and everything i was just like go 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 and had no chance to reflect on the environment that I was in or, ha- or, or think about the experiences that I was having and how it was informing me, especially, like, as someone who wants to write or tell stories or, 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 or you know, make films or whatever, like, it's, you've got to be so aware of the people that you meet and the environments that you're in. And um, I felt like I would just let that skate over. And I think being, like, it left me a little anxious when I first got there. I was like, what am I... I've got nothing to fill my time. You know, like yeah. uh, we we would, you know, especially on days when we weren't uh, off filming. You know, when we were just based in the office or whatever, like things would move quite slowly. Sometimes uh, we'd be in the office for not that long, and uh, it, it it got me to think like, well, how can I like experience this place? And and uh, and I think that's like a mentality that has definitely informed uh, me afterwards. Is like not you know you not finding value in just the the sort of uh, uh, qualifiers of what you do, not finding value in just, like, writing a story or making a short film or, like, things that you can say, like, I've done this, I've done that, but finding value in the actual experience of what you're doing and where you are, you know? It doesn't have to be sort of tangible. It can just be experiential. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that was an important lesson that I got out of Kentucky and was something that was, was like a struggle in the beginning.
0: Ben has worked for TV and film production company Moxie Pictures in New York City since graduating from university. Finally, I wanted to see what stuck with the alumni after all these years. I asked them to reflect on the effect that this summer had on them and what they took away from their time in Whitesburg.
4: I think it had, like, two main effects, at least, that I remember or can think of. One main thing that I can think of is Herbie and I often had conversations about why he makes films the way he does. And one of the things that I really remember is that he said that he doesn't make films that are narrated by the filmmaker, usually. Or, like, I think sometimes he called it God's eye where the filmmaker just voices over whatever is being filmed at the moment. Uh, His films use a lot more of actual characters' voices, as in the people who are being filmed are usually in the voiceovers, if there is a voiceover at all, on the film. Um, And I thought that this was a really interesting kind of physical demonstration of how the subjects being filmed had agency to continue to talk, whereas the filmmaker is sort of in the background, um, letting them speak and asking them questions um, and things like that. Uh, And so I guess that, I think, sort of influences some of my poetry writing in the sense of it's not the same exact thing. You're not really filming anyone. You're just writing. Uh, Mm -hmm. But the same sort of thing where you have to be careful not to kind of let your perspective completely dominate whatever it is you're writing about, um, that Mm -hmm. you kind of need to, especially if, like me, you're writing about real people and real subjects, although through a fictional lens, uh, you kind of have to let the real people and the real subjects you're talking about have some sort of influence on how you write and what you write about. And then the second thing that I could think of was just one of the reasons why I wanted to work with Herbie is that I was really interested in working like kind of one-on-one with a mentor uh, because that was something that I hadn't really done before. And in many ways, it can mimic the relationship between a professor and a student when the student is either considering academia or is a grad student like me currently. Uh, Not all professor-student relationships are like that. Sometimes they're a lot more peer-peer, but I was kind of interested in these sort of mentor-mentee relationships. Uh, And I really enjoyed my time, as I already kind of talked about my highlight, that uh, I just learned a lot from Herbie. It was very important to me to kind of take the stance of humility and Wanting to be educated about a place that I knew little to nothing about and kind of, yeah, learning through talking, learning through asking questions um, and those sorts of things, I think, are still important to me in my current life with my relationships with my professor mentors um, in various places.
0: Sumit just finished his first year of graduate school at the University of Michigan, where he's pursuing a Ph.D. in philosophy. Here's Travis again, who went on to study public administration along with city and regional planning in graduate school after finishing his degree from UNC. He talks of the perspective and insight that he gained on urban planning from his time here in Whitesburg.
5: The, the best way to sort of illustrate it, and in my current job I don't do this directly, but all kind of elements of urban planning are, are really interrelated. Um, and I think the way it sort of most manifests sort of as I think about planning broadly is when we think about economic development, the Appalachian region is so often talked about about, well, how do we bring economic development to Appalachia and how do we um, get this region out of poverty that it's experienced for so long? And that discussion is sort of always the conversation that we've had. Um, And so as we think about sort of what modern issues are in economic development and how we're seeing that and what cities are doing and what other places are doing to try to, um, you know, create jobs and create opportunity for people I always sort of think more about, well, how can we do this in a way that actually links the urban with the rural? We're sort of in a very unique time right now where cities are economic drivers. We're seeing jobs concentrate in cities. And given sort of the current policy landscape and the economic incentives, that's unlikely to change anytime soon. So the question is sort of like, well, how can we change those incentives? How can we change the institutions that exist to sort of better link these two elements um, to really deliver results for everybody. And I think so often we reduce it to a zero-sum game where one area or one city or one region's gain has to occur at the loss of another, and that's not necessarily always true. It has much more to do with what the underlying policies are and what the underlying incentives are. And so having spent some time in a rural area and sort of seen a lot of what's going on there up close and working with people who've spent their careers thinking about this and trying to really solve these problems, I think really gives me a broader perspective on that element of my work um, when it does interface uh, with it and how to think about that in a broader way that's maybe more productive than just viewing things as a zero-sum uh, sort of calculation and that the current favor um, the current economic sort of conditions don't favor rural areas well how can we how can we link these things to take a, 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 an approach that really benefits everybody?
0: Travis now works for the US Department of Transportation as a community planner in Boston Massachusetts. Next is Eli who talks about what he learned from running his science camp and how applicable it is in his day job
6: as a researcher um, so I think I mean number one thing is, it. I don't. I don't know what it would have been like if I hadn't been there. But I suspect, given that I tend to think about it at those moments, that um, it cemented a certain degree of faith in um, the openness of people to talking about difficult things um, with people who are not like them. Um, you know, I, I was quite concerned going in. I thought, you know, in a sense, if you describe it one way, I'm going into coal country with an environmentalist thing going on. You know, I'm like the enemy, how bizarre was that? Um, and I, I was really convinced otherwise. Uh, so when I moved on to dealing with lots of different people all over the world, often on, you know, sensitive subjects, which are at the core of their livelihood and on which we might not agree. Um, I do often think about those moments, um, especially with the parents of the kids who I thought were my audience, um, and I, you know, I, I have some faith some because of that, that that you can usually get through to people um, or at least get along
0: with people. Eli just finished his third year of graduate school at North Carolina State University, where he's researching ways that genetic engineering could reduce plants' need for fertilizer. Here's Scott, UNC class of 2008 again, who describes some of the personal lessons he took away from his summer in
7: Whitesburg. Yeah, um, I'd say being there um, helps me, and kind of personally, be a little bit less uh, rigid and stubborn uh, about certain things, just because, you know, that was the first time that I was not really that much in control of large portions of what I was going to be doing, uh, and so just having to deal, you know, interpersonally and kind of institutionally with um, with other people um, and learning to just kind of roll with it was really important for me. Um, Let's see. Um, And in terms of my later summers, um, you know, my second summer then was in Vietnam, which was, I would say, the most – we felt like it was uh, the most similar to being in Whitesburg. And, in fact, all of our – Every single person who was in our Vietnam program the second summer had been in either Whitesburg or in um, Cleveland, Mississippi for their first summer. So it certainly seemed to attract uh, people who were okay with an experience that was a little more uh, isolating and who were kind of interested in doing that and uh, willing and even excited to see kind of how they responded in that environment um and uh just in terms of later stuff um uh, these days i think especially i always think back on that summer in whitesburg um and i think about all the people that i met and especially the guys i worked with at the county 911 office um you know People like Jimbo, and then the guys who worked on the county trucks, um, you know. And I think that you know they're all probably uh, Trump supporters. Um, and I loved them all; they were wonderful people. Um, and that really helps me, just you know, keep various political things in perspective these days. Um, that there are lots of good people um, who. I assume, would disagree with me strongly politically, but who are still great to just sit and chat with and um, drive around the county learning from.
0: Scott got a Ph.D. in history from Stanford University and currently resides in Denver, Colorado, with his partner and their two twin girls. And last but not least, here's Savannah again on how Whitesburg really stayed with her even after she left.
1: And I just really loved... Some of the people there, I had a chance to go back last summer. This was when it was a little bit early, so the house was there. The Robertson house had been rented out, but only one other scholar was there. So I talked to, you know, Vicky and said, you know, is it okay if I stay there for a little bit? I'm going to do a short trip. And I got to see my former bosses and just come in and chat and catch up and, um, you know, got to see someone that I was good friends with while I was there. Um, and I just, yeah, consider it one of my homes. So I think – even as people move away from Whitesburg, I actually was good friends with someone who was there is no longer there. Um, but she, um, you know, eventually moved to Knoxville. Um, and recently I was in a road trip through and, you know, stopped and sat and talked with her and we talked, you know, half about our current lives and half about the time that we spent in Whitesburg. So I think, um, regardless of the fact that it's this quick summer, I think people who do it, you know, in a way that they're reaching out to people that they're working with and living with and, and, um, you know, on a day to day basis, sharing the city with um, or the town with, um, come out of it with really strong connections. Like, I definitely still feel like it's one of the many homes I've had in my life. And, you know, right. if it's ever in the news or if it's ever, um, you know, relevant or in some way, I'm, I'm consistently tracking it, following it. I want to know what's happening. I want to know how my friends and really extended, <laughs> I consider everyone extended family there are. So, um, yeah, it, it stays with you. And I think it's powerful that we and going back for all of those reasons.
0: Savannah just moved to Washington, D.C. and is preparing to start her new job at an international law firm. Over the years, more than 60 people have come to Whitesburg thanks to the Robertson Scholarship Program. And if I was able to talk with all of them, I'm sure many would echo the sentiments you just heard from these alumni. They came to Whitesburg during their formative years and left with a better understanding of who they are. But more than that, these alumni left with an understanding of what it means to be a part of a greater community and with an appreciation for the Appalachian region. Though it wasn't always easy, living in Letcher County forced many of these alumni to question their prejudices and misconceptions about the southern United States and rural America. They were exposed to the realities of the place, not from friends, family or media, but from the people who have grown up and lived in these communities throughout their lives. I myself feel very grateful for having had the privilege to come and live in Whitesburg during part of this summer. If it was not for my time here, Eastern Kentucky would probably be a place that I would have only seen from pictures or through an airplane window. With that, I would like to thank all the wonderful alumni that took the time out of their busy schedules to talk with me, along with Claire Bradshaw, Mimi Pickering, and Rachel Geringer for helping with the production of this episode. I would also like to give my thanks to all the wonderful people at Apple Shop, who mentored me and taught me so much about the beautiful culture of this region throughout the summer. Before we end this episode, though, there was one last question I asked the alumni. If you had the option to go back to your freshman year again and choose where you went for your community summer, after now having spent time in eastern Kentucky, would you still choose to come to Whitesburg?
3: Yeah, I would. I would. Yes.
1: I wouldn't change a thing. Yeah, I would choose Whitesburg. I would choose rural strategies.
4: Yeah,
7: no doubt about it.
5: I would absolutely go to Whitesburg again.
7: Oh, yeah, for sure. There's no way I would go anywhere else. Um, I would definitely go to Whitesburg because uh, even though sometimes I feel like I can't put it into words, I know that that experience um, was one of the best things that could have happened to me at that point in my life. Um, and I'm always grateful that I spent that summer there.